And if you overpay for those types of opportunities, certainly you may be disappointed in terms of your results. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to another great episode of Mint Money. I couldn't be happier to bring yet another action-packed episode to everyone today. On today's show, we're taking airplane rides to take a look at investing overseas. It's something that a lot of investors don't pay attention to, but can certainly make a big difference when it comes to the overall risk and return within someone's portfolio. So when this topic came up, I couldn't think of a better guest to have on than Tim Newburn, who's currently a director within the institutional group at Brandis Investment Partners. Not only does their company have a long track record within investing in international markets, but Tim actually lives in Canada. So it makes for a pretty interesting conversation. So Tim, for those who don't know, you went to school and graduated from the University of Toronto. And so how exactly did someone who graduated from Toronto end up working for Brandis, which is headquartered in sunny Southern California? Very fair question, William. I actually grew up in Northern Ontario. So the other side of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, where you're located, but at about the same latitude. Had the ability to go to the U of T, which is great. I actually started my career in the industry in the early 90s with a first in banking, then in retail advisory, and then transitioned into asset management. For the first number of years, I worked for a firm, a Canadian firm that was subsequently bought by Invesco out of the US, but really enjoyed working for a firm that was value-focused, that had a very strong value bias. And once that merger occurred with my previous firm, I had the opportunity to join Brandis as they were seeking to open up a Canadian subsidiary. Having the ability to join a firm that was committed to value was great, and I jumped at the opportunity to be among the first Canadian employees. The fact that some of my former colleagues in my previous life were also key people in creating the Canadian sub was also very attractive. And to be perfectly honest with you, having the ability to go to San Diego for sales meetings in the middle of winter is somewhat appealing to somebody that grew up in Canada. That was a nice added benefit as well. Of course, I could certainly see that. And so Brandis today runs a multitude of different investment strategies. And so why was the intention when the firm was founded, I think in the early 80s or maybe early 70s, why was it the intention to initially focus on value investing versus growth investing, which is, I think, right around that time period starting to gain a lot of traction? Yeah. So we do apply value across all strategies. So although we have numerous strategies, that they're all managed with the same consistency. And since our founding in 1974, we have focused strictly on value investing. And it really goes back to somewhat of the history of our founder and how he came about to create our firm, Charles Brandis. He began his career in the late 60s as a retail investment advisor in San Diego. And at that time, the late 60s was referred to as the go-go era of investing, where growth was very much in vogue. I think, if I'm not mistaken, some of the hottest stocks at that point in time were fast food restaurants like Mary Brown's Fried Chicken and names like that. It was really a very different environment than it is today, but nonetheless, very much a growth-oriented environment. Charles, through his work in the retail advisory business, 
actually got to know Benjamin Graham, who was looked upon as the father of value investing, the mentor to people like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Through getting to know Ben, Charles really got to understand how value investing principles work and the benefits that can be derived by having really a long-term commitment to a fundamental value approach. And by fundamental value investing, we are referring to really focusing on sound financial analysis and review, having a long-term view, a very patient view, and looking for opportunities that are apart from the crowd quite often, most often, and opportunities where there's a significant discount in place between what we feel the fundamental value of the business is and what the current share or market price of that business is. So really capitalizing on that mispricing and inefficiency that is inherent in investing through fear and greed really was at the heart of what Charles wanted to capture when he created the firm. What's really great is 50, 60 years later, we are still employing these same principles on a day-to-day basis within the activities of our firms. Really, our commitment to those principles has been unwavering. Certainly. And being able to go buy things at a discount, when I go think about my own life, I love going to clothing retailers, buying things at a discount. I'm shopping for a new car. I like buying things at a discount. It's only natural that for value investing, people would love to go buy things at a discount. Tim, it seems like the media doesn't seem to appreciate value investing as much as uh, growth investing. So why do you think that is? It's very true. I think that this is largely due to what the media has a tendency to report and quite frankly, what consumers want to hear. And those two things are really linked. We all, I believe, realize to some extent that the media does tend to cling to more sensational stories and focus on ideas or stories, either good or bad, that will generate the strongest emotional responses from its listeners or consumers. And when it comes to investment opportunities, it's really not surprising that the growth companies with strong expected future growth prospects, I do highlight or underline expected, tend to get greater interest in the media than perhaps more established, profitable, but perhaps slower growth companies. And as investors, we think it's really important that in addition to listening to the story of what the opportunity is, you need to really understand what the value of that opportunity is. Because quite often what happens is stories, whether they be growth or otherwise, tend to be overhyped. And perhaps the expected growth of a particular business or sector doesn't necessarily turn out to be what the realized growth is. And if you overpay for those types of opportunities, certainly you may be disappointed in terms of your results. So we think that price and value are very important tandem concepts to always keep in mind when you're making investment decisions. Absolutely. No, I could see that 100%. And I think it ties into why when we think about investing, when we hear about investing in the news, it's probably the same reason why we hear, okay, so we hear more about growth-like investing, but probably why we also hear more about U.S. investing and domestic investing versus international investing, which is crazy to think because you're forgetting about 50% of the global stock market when you think about that. Why do you think, Tim, investors will often underallocate to international equities? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that there's often a trend within countries for investors to just naturally adopt a home bias, especially in markets that are as well-developed and diversified as the U.S. So it's very understandable. People often feel more comfortable buying shares in companies that they recognize, perhaps companies that 
manufacture products that they love to use on a regular basis. They may live in a city or town where a company is dominant in that town and they recognize that company. They may have worked for it, so therefore they know the business and there's a comfort there or they're headquartered in their local communities or states. They're very understandable why home biases develop, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these home biases are always prudent, as you mentioned, William. And I think an example of this is really something that we've seen happen quite recently, and that is this concept of the magnificent seven stocks, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. As of November the 1st, they accounted for close to 30% of the overall value of the S&P 500 index, which is obviously comprised of 500 companies. And these seven names account for virtually all of the just over 10% return year-to-date of that particular benchmark. Although we can understand why these home biases develop, there is a risk in falling prey to them and investing in nothing else but what you are familiar with. And concentration risk of the type that I've mentioned really does present the need to diversify, to look for opportunities in different companies, in different sectors, in different countries globally. And that's really best captured through international investing. Of course, I asked a friend the other day, would you rather have food that only the U.S. is known for, or would you rather have food that other countries and other nationalities are also known for as well? I think 10 times out of 10, maybe nine times out of 10, ask the wrong person, but why not have more options? So it's a different way to go think about it. But something else has garnered a lot of attention recently has been all about passive investing within the U.S. markets. But I've come to read some different reports that it doesn't always work out the same for U.S. markets as it does international markets. What has been your guys' experience with passive investing in international? Does it work out as well? Is it popular? Generally, we have tended to see more of our clients who have adopted more of an active international approach to blend with their passive U.S. holdings. And I think if you look at our lineup of strategies, our largest portfolio by quite a measure is our international equity large cap strategy. And I think part of the reason for that is several of our largest institutional clients have taken more of a passive U.S. approach and blended that with active international. Having said that, we're actually starting to see some flows come in to our U.S. value strategy from investors that are a little concerned about concentration risk and how long that has extended for a period of time in the US. And therefore, while they may be looking to maintain a passive approach, they're happy to blend it with even an active approach to US equities. So there are different ways you can go about building the portfolio. And we are somewhat biased to active because that's what we do. But we think that it certainly does have a strong place to play in the context of a broad portfolio mix. Sure. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Tim, as you reflect back on your extensive career, what are some key takeaways as an investor that you would share with people just starting out with investing? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned this, William, or asked me this because I've got three adult children, 25, 27, and 29. So some of these comments are probably uh, have been topics around the dinner table over the years. But I think a real key one is distinguishing between investing and speculation and really treating your long-term wealth creation very differently than the money that you take to Vegas. And although one would think that never happens, I think it does happen more frequently than we think. Really looking at those as being very separate, and I'm not at all critical of people that speculate. I think that's their business, but I think it's just important to keep those pots somewhat separate. I'm a big fan of delegating to professionals, especially the services 
and activity that you are not equipped with necessarily doing yourself. I think we all specialize in areas of focus in our lives, whether it be work, family, or otherwise. And it makes complete sense to work with professionals to design a plan, an investment portfolio, a strategy that is customized to each investor and will get them to where they want to go in meeting their really short, medium, and long-term goals over time. Taking a long-term view is probably the most overused phrase in our industry, but I do think it's very important. Just as any business person that invests in a business doesn't typically look to own that business for a month or six months or a year, I think it's really important for investors in businesses through managed products or through shares of a company to take the same approach and to give the business adequate time to continue to grow, develop, and reward those that are patient. And the last point I'll leave is just make sure that you do not lose the opportunity to benefit from what Albert Einstein said was the eighth wonder of the world, which is the power of compounding. It truly is an amazing tool that every investor has at their disposal as long as they give their portfolio adequate time to realize it. Couldn't agree more with the points you mentioned. So I appreciate that. And so now time to break the interview into our lightning round of questions. And so Tim, what would you say is your most important daily habit? That's a good one. I probably got a lot of habits, some good, some not so good. But the best one that I'll say is just getting outside and enjoying fresh air and sunlight. I think I live in a northern climate where in the depth of winter, that can be somewhat challenging to necessarily get the energy to do. But I think it's very important just to clear your mind, to recharge, to take advantage of what nature has to offer. And thankfully, my two furry friends helped me to stay motivated to always do that, even when the weather gets a little unfriendly. What's your favorite TV show or streaming show you're currently watching or have recently? I am a sports fanatic, so much of my screen time, admittedly, is on NHL and NFL games. But I must say that from a streaming perspective, I really enjoyed Succession, which probably everyone has seen or most people have seen given its success. But I always like programs that have, even if it's a weak link to a true story, I always think those are fascinating. And I really thought they did an excellent job in portraying the challenges that family-owned enterprises have in transitioning through different generations. really thought that was well done. If you don't mind, I'd also like to just add a couple of books that either have read or I'm reading right now that I think the audience might want to take a look at if they haven't. An author that I really enjoy reading is Morgan Housel, and he's come out with two books. One is called The Psychology of Money, which is a terrific read for anybody at any stage of their life. But I would suggest particularly for young adults starting out, I think it's a really good read. And it's not a preachy type book that's giving you advice of what you have to do. It's just a collection of short stories that relate to money matters and so on. The other one is his most recent book, which is called Same as Ever. And it's a discussion of how human traits tend to repeat themselves over time. And we focus a lot on how activities and world developments repeat, but really it's the behavioral traits that are repeating themselves at the core of that. So I found those to be very good. Couldn't agree more with those two recommendations. Big Morgan Hazel fan myself. So music to my ears with you saying that. Tim, if you could be remembered for just one thing, what would it be? Honesty. At the core of my being, and I think whenever I talk to people or give news, whether it be good, bad, or otherwise, 
I want it to be the truth. I think it's a trait I find is somewhat and sadly a little lacking in some corners of our society these days. So I think it's very important. For those people, Tim, who want to learn more about yourself or Brandis, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? Yeah, our website is probably the best single source. So www.brandis.com. We have information on our history of our firm, the structure of the organization, as well as our strategies. I also welcome people to connect with me on LinkedIn. By all means, I don't blog, but I do post and repost quite frequently. Please feel free to sign up with me through that source. Perfect. Thanks, Tim. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another great episode of Mint Money. Please follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, William. You've been listening to Mint and Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com. <laughs>